Hey folks, welcome to a new episode of Glenn is Talking Man from New York. Now, it's September and kind of makes you think of that great song, Dancing in September by the legendary, absolutely fantastic Earth, Wind and Fire. But does anyone really feel like dancing this particular September? I know personally, I don't really. As of course, uh, summer is ending. Uh, it's now Labor Day weekend, the unofficial end of the summer. All of them will be here soon with visions of pumpkin spice uh, dancing in your head. But as we are six months now into this pandemic, let's be honest, it's been a lot. Uh, when this first started, when we first started having lockdowns, and here in New York, when we were just inundated with ambulance sirens because there was so much death and despair and this uncertainty, uh, the hope was maybe in a couple months we could really get back to normal. That we could maybe beat this. Now, maybe that was too optimistic, but I think most people were like, okay, after the initial dread, uh, we were able to get through this. But we're six months into this of still, you know, wearing masks and still not everything open 100%. And look, I'll be honest, I, I'm, it's driving me a little crazy. Everything about this situation is driving me crazy. Uh, the fact that, you know, you go to the store and you still got to, like, disinfect everything. Or me, who I've always been sort of a compulsive hand sanitizer person before this, but now it's, like, even worse. I'm like, I I wish I had, like, you know how Spider-Man has, like, the the web shooters? Like, I wish I had, like, this uh, sanitizer shooters attached to my wrist. So I could just, you know, I have to worry about getting a bottle. So everything is just been going on for so long. And, you know, and people have talked about getting back to normal. And also people talk about not getting back to normal. Maybe getting back to getting somewhere better, right? Doing things differently. Uh, but I think just the exhaustion, the mental and physical exhaustion of everything that is happening, uh, you know, we have to talk about it. We have to be aware of it. So it was announced that FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which responds to emergencies and disasters, uh, FEMA has been providing funds for states and cities uh, during this uh, crisis for things like uh, cleaning and disinfecting public areas. Well, FEMA is now cutting those funds. So particularly here in New York, where FEMA has been paying money so that the city and state could, you know, disinfect, uh, you know, schools and the subway system and public transportation, that money is going to go away. Uh, because, of course, I mean, yeah, I'm... I'm who knows the reason why it's probably just really bad, cheap politics, which of course we're in the peak era of bad, cheap politics. But uh, you remember it was historic when they announced months ago that the New York City subway system would be closing uh, at night. It was it was huge because it's, you know, it's a 24 hour system. Uh, People work all kinds of crazy hours here in New York. Uh, so the idea that the subway would not be open and you had to find alternative routes it was huge. And they used that 
time is close from like one in the morning to five in the morning. They use that time to clean, disinfect the cars and the train stations also. They've also done it to keep homeless people out of the system. And so it looks like that money is coming to an end. And, and one thing people have been talking about here in New York is like, oh, wow, the subways are so clean and buses are so clean. Now, I have not been on any public transportation since everything went down. I've been fortunate enough not have to take the subway or the bus. And I really don't want to. I'm not eager to. I know eventually I have to go back. Like, eventually it's sort of like, you know... It's like one of those movies where, like, someone had you had to go back to like the place where the monsters are at. Even though I'm not saying there are monsters in the subway. Actually, there are monsters in the subway. They're called rats. But enough about them. But yeah, so FEMA is cutting this money to not only New York but to everywhere across the country. And I mean, we're gonna see what impact that has. It doesn't make much sense. But does anything make much sense that's happening these days? I saw a a news clip on the on YouTube that a restaurant and I, I hate to I forgot the name of the restaurant but it was in uh, California it was a Korean restaurant uh, they're closing after forty years uh, they were featured a couple years ago on an episode of Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown and they're closing because they just can't make the numbers work uh, because having you know just pickup and delivery. Uh, isn't enough. It's a restaurant where people sit down. And indoor dining here in New York State, in New York City, restaurant owners actually suing to try to open up uh, indoor dining here in New York City because there are parts of the state where indoor dining is open, in fact. And it's really weird. Like, they're like parts of, like, the Bronx and Queens. Like, if you just go across the street and cross the border uh, in the Bronx, if you, like, if you, you can cross the street to Westchester County and eat inside a restaurant, but in the Bronx you can. Or in Queens, you can cross the street and you're in Long Island, Nassau County, and you can go to a restaurant and sit inside, but you can't do it in New York City. So there's all these crazy things, and I'm personally wary of indoor dining myself. I'm also not a big fan of outdoor dining, which I mentioned in the previous episode, but I understand people want people to go out and eat, they, they want to try to have good times. I understand restaurant owners want to try to stay open as we head into the fall and eventually winter where outdoor dining ain't just going ain't gonna to cut it. Not, not in this town. Yeah. I'm just trying to imagine like, an, you know, outdoor dining like in November where you've got like that really early deep winter chill just popping up out of nowhere. It's not going to work. So, I don't know, maybe they can just do something where you just open it, like, during the weekend, right? And they have limited capacity. And I know people, people, I think the governor was like, we need more cops to, to do that. Eh, really? Not, I don't know about that. Everything that's going down this summer, I don't know if adding, you know, police into the mix, you know, because some restaurant owner has one too many people in there and someone's like, halfway through a hamburger and then the cops come and it it, it seems that that could just going to be a mess itself hopefully someone will figure uh things out as we are like i say we are not dancing uh, in september 
at all. A politics presidential race is heating up Joe Biden versus Donald Trump uh, in the battle for the soul of a country. Now, I'm jokingly saying that like it's a, you know, like it's a big boxing battle. And to be honest, uh, I think sports analogies in politics, I think, you know, the national news media, especially cable news, has treated politics too much like sports in, in the past, say, decade or so. Where it's sort of like, uh, I don't want to say it's like ESPN, because I think ESPN actually sometimes, I think sometimes takes sports more serious than the national news media takes politics. I think, you know, it's this weird thing. Because, like, if you ever watch ESPN, let's say you watch, like, their, not only their debate shows, but it's the analysts, like football. Football analysis is so serious and it's so thorough on either ESPN or, you know, FS1 or any other sports programming that you watch, right? It's just, here's, you know, someone to break down the plays, and here's someone to break down the general manager, uh, you know, maneuvers, and here's someone to break down player personnel development. It's super, it's very thorough. As in with, like, cable news, sometimes it's just like the the very surface of what's happening. Like, look, what will voters think of this person's new haircut? Like, come on. Seriously, we we can do better. I hope we can do better. There's a big hub. There's big nonsense about, you know, Nancy Pelosi went to a salon. She was wearing a mask. And her stylist said, hey, we got invited there. And the salon owner, like, sent the footage to, like, to, to the news. And it's like, it's, the, it's like a really dumb thing. That sometimes uh, we get fixated on, because I guess the real serious things are too serious. Like people don't people don't want to deal with that. People want to get worked up on just you know nonsense uh, instead of dealing with like really really deep stuff, which is consequential and will have impact for decades and maybe even a century. You never know. There's an interesting story. A woman, a woman named Jessica Krug, uh, canceled herself. Uh, she announced, she revealed to the world, uh, Jessica, who was a professor of uh, African American studies, I believe, at George Washington University, and you know had claimed to be of African American descent or Afro Latina, uh, being uh, a black person uh, of Puerto Rican. Uh, background. Turns out she was not black. She was not Puerto Rican, Latina. She was a, uh, I believe she was a white woman or she was white Jewish woman from Kansas who pretended to be an Afro Latina from the Bronx. And I mean, there's so much to unpack there uh, about, you know, let's, let's be honest, race is very complicated in this country because a lot of people are like, well, how couldn't people tell that she wasn't black? And well, look, black people come in many different complexions and shapes, and just it's very difficult. Uh, I I think it's also very troublesome. I think just to look at a person and say that person can't be black. In some cases, that's true, but still, you just never know. But this woman basically just I don't know uh, another case of like Rachel Dallas was it Dallazel? I always get her name mispronounced it. Who was another person who pretended uh, to be black, and who was uh, she was also an academic, and uh, so 
hey, I don't know what's going on with academia where everyone's just like, hey, I'm just going to uh, be someone else so I can be an expert. I'm trying to think of what can I do? What who, what, 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 kind of, what can I claim? I think I'm going to be, an, I don't know, an Aztec warrior slash uh, Samoan... Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking of speaking of Samoan or half Samoan. Uh, the Rock, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, uh, announced that his entire family had been diagnosed with COVID-19. His wife, his two kids, they all were, had had caught the coronavirus and they were sick. And he, you know, called it one of the most challenging things he's ever had to deal with. Now I don't know what's up with COVID-19, but starting the feud with the Rock, really? Do you know the Rock's resume? Uh, did you not see him in San Andreas and the Fast and Furious movies? Uh, is COVID-19 unaware of The Rock's stellar wrestling career? Uh, again, you know, battles against the likes of Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, even Hulk Hogan? I mean, really, COVID-19? I think you may have overstepped. I think you may have gone a little bit too far. I think you you might about to get the... The smackdown laid on you, COVID-19. You really, I don't know what you were thinking going after uh, The Rock, uh, of all people. And speaking of movies, uh, the the new Batman film, The Batman, is once again suspended production because Robert Patterson, the star, has been also diagnosed with COVID-19. And it just goes to show you that it... We're going to have these ups and downs because think about it, huge Hollywood productions where, they, of course, they they have daily testing probably and they have all kinds of resources to take precautions uh, are going to have issues with people catching it. So you can only imagine what, like, schools, which we've seen, like, colleges who started in classes, in class learning, suddenly say, uh, you know what, on second thought, we're going to do that whole internet thing because kids are getting sick. And it just feels, it feels like this whole, feel like we've been this, this whole dance that we've done the past six months. It reminds me when you were a kid and you were going to get into a bathtub, it was really hot, and you put your foot, like you put your toe in the hot, in the tub and it was like too hot and you pulled out and then you like put it back in and you know how you did this is back and forth that we're doing where there's no co- cohesive like thinking or planning or strategy uh, about what to do it's very I don't know it's crazy uh, and so also this week uh, the passing of David Graeber who is an anthropologist uh, self-proclaimed anarchist uh, very uh you know, impactful, consequential thought leader. He was one of the architects uh, behind what would be known as Occupy Wall Street back in 2011, which took over Sakati Park in Lower Manhattan. And I actually got to take a photo. Uh, I remember being uh, visiting Sakati Park during Occupy Wall Street, and there were all kinds of different uh, things happening there. And David Graeber was there uh, doing with a, a teaching with a group of young people and I snapped a picture of it and actually it's on my Twitter feed and I Occupy Wall Street people have strong feelings about it some people people especially people who are involved in it uh, to them it was the best thing that ever happened it was amazing there are other people who thought it was the worst thing ever there was just a bunch of losers they hated it and look I, I spent a little time down there 
uh, I took some photos. I, I, I spoke to a lot of people, people who were part of the Occupy movement, also people who were just curious about what was happening. It was a lot of conversations. And that, to me, that was the most appealing aspect of uh, the occupation in Zakati Park was that the ability just to have conversations and talk about these important issues about uh, the economy and sort of just the structure of society and have sort of this space where people can have debate and conversation and discussion. And that was, to me, that was really uh, just amazing environment. And I remember going, every time I went down there, I always had these just engaging, insightful conversations with people uh, with just different thoughts and different ideas of how the world worked. I remember one time I was down there talking to a guy who was like a small business owner. He wasn't even from New York. He was visiting New York. He was a small business owner from New England who did not like Occupy Wall Street. Absolutely hated the idea of it. And he was, but he was a small business owner who hated big business. Like he, he felt like he was getting screwed by the government and by big businesses. But he also did not like Occupy Wall Street. He, you know, so, you know, we had we we're in this weird space, I believe, uh, consistently. And I talk about this in the previous uh, episode where people just don't trust any institutions at all, almost anymore. They you know they don't trust the government. They don't trust the church. They don't trust uh, who, what, whatever the, the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts. Well, you gotta trust the Girl Scouts because of those those damn fantastic cookies. In fact, the Girl Scouts might be the only institution in this country uh, worth saving and put them in charge of the country. But yeah, people people just don't have you know a lot of faith, and you know rightfully so. It's understandable. But also, I believe part of that problem is we also got to take some accountability, you know, personally about being informed and being aware of what is happening and not just waiting for someone to tell us what is happening, but trying to to, to be searchers and seekers of the truth and of, of what is happening. And, you know, instead of just waiting to be told. And, you know, like I said, we're. We're about, what, 60, less than 60 days from Election Day, which is going to be, these next uh, two months are going to be uh, like anything we probably ever experienced or witnessed uh, in American politics. So, you know, hey, buckle up, gird your loins, uh, stock up on bourbon or whiskey, whatever your choice is. If you're not a drinker, uh Make sure your meditation practice is kicking in gear at this point because uh, things are getting kind of hectic. Uh, suggestion to watch. Uh, I'm three episodes in to Lovecraft Country on HBO, which debuted a few weeks ago. I uh, believe it's executive produced by Jordan Peele, who, of course, the wrote and directed Get Out. Uh, produced for television by Misha Green, starring our... Did it, it, you have to watch Lovecraft Country. Let me just say, I watched it last night. I watched there's four episodes. I watched three episodes. Uh, already one of my favorite shows ever. Just fantastic. It takes place in the 1950s, and it's you know it's it's the horror experience in and the African American experience and the perspective of it. And of course, 
uh, it's it's not it's not a departure to say that for too long the African American experience, in a, you know, has been has been too much real life horror, but this deals with you know, uh, mythology and it, first of all, it's a beautiful looking show. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. Well, cinematography and costume design always catches my eyes. Like that always gets me get gets my attention. Uh, but uh, good acting, uh, just good, well paced. I say adrenaline rushing, which is uh, just really it's always fun when you watch a show, and at the end of the like hour, you're like, whew, I, I need to, I need, I need a rest. I, I'm, I'm mentally and physically exhausted just by watching uh, this television program. So Lovecraft Country, uh, which is streaming on uh, HBO and all the other, you know. Whatever all the HBOs are out there in the universe, it's on there. So I just wanted to talk to you uh, and share those thoughts with you. Uh, thank you for listening to Glenn is Talking, Man from New York.